All right, guys, welcome to Revive School. You know, 2 Samuel eleven twelve. Yeah, it just seems like this week is like the week of like the big stories. You know, we talked about, you know, David and the Davidic covenant, you know, talking about how he's been given the eternal house, the eternal kingdom, and yes, the eternal throne, which is our phrase. It's the eternal throne, and which, which means this. When you hear eternal throne, even if David messes up, it sure sounds like it's still going to happen. Is that a fair statement? fair statement? I think it's a total fair statement because guess what? He's totally going to mess up today. Regardless of the sin that David actually brings upon himself, the eternal throne, and I'm going to write this up here because we're going to talk about some pretty graphic stuff today. Not as graphic as Saul going to the bathroom though, just let it be known. Is the eternal throne, regardless of what we talk about in 2 Samuel 11, guess what happens? It still goes on. It still happens through the line of David. Now, I will tell you, uh, it's just kind of crazy. And I love what, um, love what Nelson said here. Nelson said that, remember, David was so faithful to Jonathan's covenant, right? He was like, yes. And then Mephibosheth, right? And then he came out under the, the lineage of Jonathan as a son. And David still honored his faithfulness to that covenant. And the crazy thing is, in 2 Samuel 11, he's not faithful to the covenant with God. He's willing to say yes to Jonathan, but when it comes to, when it comes to keeping this covenant with, with Jehovah, with jo- Jehovah, with Yahweh, like, no, he, he doesn't do that. So here's how it unfolds. And I, I just want to tell you this right away. You know, you can have this big picture of, um, oh man, there's so many points here that we're going to talk about today, but I love what Wearsby says here, is that idleness... We're going to talk about idleness in verses 1 through 2a, okay? Idleness is, creates a problem. When you kind of get stir-crazy and you're like, hey, what should I do next? <laughs> it says, in the spring, I'm in 2 Samuel 11, verse 1, in the spring when kings would march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all of Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, it says this, David got up. Now, let me just say this. The idleness, and here, here's the problem, okay? And again, multiple points. You need to keep your hands to the plow. So here's the deal. Look at this. These guys went to fight all the way, right? To besiege this city. And then David, David stood back. David stayed back and he remained idle. So in verse two, one evening, David got up from his bed. Okay, he strolled around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman, woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. Okay, so now here's just a, another mentality here. and going to kind of stay the obvious. You got to keep your eyes, can I just say this, on him, not her. <laughs> and I'm obviously talking about the Lord. Okay, so now can we go to the picture of me? There's a couple of us. There's Janae and Kristen and I. So here, imagine the city of David, okay? This is where David is. He walks up on his rooftop, and now you can imagine, I mean, th- look how close you are. If you look really close, you can have no problem. Promise is that nobody's out right now, praise the Lord, right? 
But now, okay, this would be the mentality. But now look how close this is. You can clearly see, okay, through a camera, like, oh yeah, you can see people. David clearly knows what he's doing. When he comes up onto the roof, because he's idle, guess what? Okay, can I just say this? Once you're idle, the imagination actually begins to kick in. And your eyes begin to, yes, thank you. Here's the David and Bathsheba, 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 Bathsheba. Okay, you can take that off the image right now. Thank you. David finds a very beautiful woman from the roof. And honestly, I think it's a fair statement. His imagination just goes there. Hey, I wonder if I could connect with that lady. I mean, that's his thought. I wonder if, I mean, this is the mentality. Why else would he be looking there except for a simple fact of lust? That's it. Of a lustful eyes. He took his eyes off the Lord. He took his hands off of the plow. And so here he is on a higher elevation. He's to see onto the courtyard. And that's really what he wanted to do. Now, can I just say this? I want to I back up because I think this is really important about the idleness, about the imagination. Now, remember, okay, the fighting component. I want to back up on the fighting here, okay? The previous year, okay, Abishai, he had defeated the Ammonite army in open country, after which the remaining Ammonites fled behind the walls of the city of Rabbah for protection, okay? So here you have the remaining Ammonites going up. Can we go back to Rabbah? So the Ammonites are going up to uh, uh, Rabbah for protection, okay? Joab returns the next year to besiege the city. So again, remember, in a season, they just like they just took a break. Hey, yeah, we're fine. At that point, David knew, you guys, that he they were going back to fight. David knew that Joab and the army was going to go back. And so when David stayed back, it just it brought about criticism that he's not going to go fighting. And I want to just say this. Chuck Swindoll says a really interesting quote. Don't go to that one yet, though. Here's one that he says. He says, our most difficult times are not when things are going hard. Hard times create dependent, uh, dependent people. You don't get proud, okay, when you're dependent upon God. Think about this, okay? Survival keeps you humble. Pride is what happens when everything is swinging in your direction. And I think that's what happened. Here you have, oh yeah, we've already been working over this section. We've already been beating these guys, the Ammonites. We've already taken care of them. Oh, yeah, they're in Rabbah. Fine. Let's just send them there. Let's send Joab. I, we're fine. And so it's like this pride begins to creep in. And then I want to go to this quote that I wanted us to have actually on the screen. And I think this is really important. It says the king. OK, now think about this. The king, as in David, he already took who took another man's wife. Right. OK. Already had a harem full of women. The simple fact is, is that the passion of sex is not satisfied by a full harem of women. It's increased. Having many women does not reduce a man's libido. It excites it. It stimulates it. And one of the lies of our secular society is that if you just satisfy this drive, then it will be abated. In other words, why I like this quote is, is like David says, I have this, but now I want more. This is what I want. I already have women. I already have wives. I already have concubines. But no, I have to have more. And that's where the idleness kicks in. That's where the imagination kicks in. But if you go back to this, this quote, uh, back to the map, he knew, you guys, that the soldiers needed him out there. But he chose not to do that. In fact, this is crazy to me. David, if you add in Michael, okay, as in a woman, this is Bathsheba is going to be his eighth wife. How many more does he need? And I think that's the point, though, is that he wants to have more. Matthew 5, verse 27, if you'll go there, Kevin. Matthew 5, verse 27. Since so you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, verse 28. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery 
with her in his heart. And I really believe it's because David created an environment that, that he could do this. But here's what you need to do. In that situation, we need to flee the scene. Go back to bed or go to war. Leave the city and go out with your guys that you know you're actually supposed to be there. Instead, here's what happens. In verse 4, David sent messengers to get her. So idleness leads to imagination, which then, I'm just going to tell you, leads to information. David sent messengers to get her, right? And when she came to him, he slept with her. Now, she had just been purifying herself from her uncleanness, and afterwards, she returned home. Now, look, I don't have any problem if there are younger ears, because I think as you're in society you see everything. You hear everything. My kids go to public school and ma'am, they hear everything. Even if you don't go to public school and you just go out into a Walmart, you see and you hear every, you see all kinds of stuff. But I'm just going to tell you, this is going to get a little bit more detailed, a little bit more graphic just for those that are, that are listening. And so it just says, when she came to him, can I just tell you this? Anytime you come to a political person, okay, whether it's been said or not, there is some form of pressure like you have to perform. It doesn't, I'm not saying you have to sleep with that person, but there's this like, I have a position, I have authority over you. And so when Bathsheba comes to the situation, you have to wonder what their conversation was about. You have to wonder if she's like, hey, why, why aren't you out there? I don't know if they had this conversation or not, but scripture says he slept with her. They had sexual relations. Now, interesting enough, okay, uh, she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. She's coming off of, Seven days of uncleanness, okay, uncleanness, right? That, that's a, and why that's important is, is because we know then that whatever happens after David and Bathsheba's sexual relations, we know then that she couldn't have had a child because that week uh, she would have been unclean and she would not have been having sex with her husband who at that point is not even here. So just so you have a, a bigger picture of here. But now here's the deal. When it says, uh, it says that he slept with her, they're both guilty, okay? Because in Scripture, why I want to say that is, is because in Scripture, we're going to get to this tomorrow, which is going to be even more graphic. We're going to talk about Tamar and her, she got raped. This is not a rape. Okay, they both chose, according to, that we know of, they both chose to have sexual relations and they are both, they're both guilty. Now, Scripture continues on. It says, the woman conceived in verse 5. Okay, it says, the woman conceived and sent word to inform David I'm pregnant. In fact, this is the only time that you're going to see in this story Bathsheba actually talks. I don't even know how you get word to the king like that, right? Like whoever you're telling, hey, tell him, tell him I'm pregnant. Uh, if this is the case, Leviticus 20 verse 10 should happen. Leviticus 20 verse 10, this is the case. David overlooking the, the, the roof, Bathsheba and him have sexual relations, she's now has, she's now pregnant. And it says, if a man commits adultery with a married woman, which she is, and his, her husband's name is Uriah the Hittite, we'll get to that. If he commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, I think this would classify as a neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. If you don't like that one, you're like, ah, oh, let's see if we can wiggle our, wiggle our way around that one. Go to Deuteronomy 22, verse 22. If a man is discovered having sexual relations with another man's wife, both the man who had sex with the woman and the woman must die. You ready for this one? You must purge the evil from Israel. David just got classified as what he did was evil. Bathsheba just got classified as what she did was as evil. The problem is they didn't do anything about it. 
You want to go to verse 6, Kevin, for me, if you can. David sent orders to Joab, and he said, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. Now, at this point, what we're going to start seeing is <laughs> David doesn't stop. And the reality is, is after you flee from the scene, the problem is, is that he doesn't. Here's what needed to happen. Okay? He needed to repent and stop. Like, hey, man, I, I messed up. Bathsheba and I, we messed up. But instead, he doesn't, and it leads to, to more problems. I just want to go to a couple of verses here. Can you go to 1 John 1, 9 for me, Kevin? 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can I just tell you, because of the eternal king, can I just tell you, because of the eternal throne and because of the eternal house that's found in the coming Messiah, truly, you and I can actually come and confess our sins. We don't have to worry about dying because we messed up. We don't have to worry about being killed because we had an affair. Does God like that? No, but he gives us an opportunity to still confess our sins, come before him so that he can forgive us and that he'll cleanse us from unrighteousness. Like, that's the difference. David was, I don't know, I don't know if he even thought about it, but at that point he should have repented and stopped. Praise the Lord, we have an opportunity to do that anytime we mess up. You don't have to live in that state of uh, Mephibosheth where you're in this barren land hiding because you're afraid you're not welcome. Jesus always says you can come to me at, at any given time. Instead, David pressed in with the issue and his sin even, even more. So he sent orders to Joab and send me Uriah the Hittite. So they, Joab sent Uriah to David. And when, they, when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab and the troops were doing. Hey, how's the war going? Now, you know that because they're in Rabbah, you know, you know that, you guys, this is taking a while. Is that correct? So just to get message there is going to take a little while. And then to get him back, hey, so hey, how's it going out there? Well, what an odd conversation. When Uriah came to him, David asked Joab, right, how they were doing. Go to verse 8 for me, Kevin, would you? Then he said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Okay, again, remember how I told you this is a little bit more graphic, a little bit more detailed. Basically, okay, here, here's what happens, okay? Instead of uh, keeping your hands to plow and keeping your eyes on him, David went idle. He started to have an imagination, right? And then he started to ask for more, more and more information. Well, then here, instead of repenting and stopping, you know what he did? He went for a first try, okay? And this is what we would call this is gonna, a clean one. I'll explain what that means in a second here, Okay. So here's what he said. He said, I want you to go down to your house, wash your feet. Really what he's saying is, I'm hoping that you can go have sexual relations with your wife. Go to the house. Hey, you're back. This is going to work out great. And in fact, feet actually in most contexts, you ready for this one? It means genitals. So I want you to go down and clean yourself so that you can have sexual relations with your wife. This is the clean approach, okay? Uh, so Uriah left the palace and a gift because the king actually even gave him a gift. He gave him food. So he said, go to your house, have sexual relations with your wife, and oh, by the way, eat lots of food. Like, this is a, a nice, simple, clean approach. The problem is, Uriah is such a soldier at heart. In verse 9, it says this, Uriah slept at the door of the palace with all of his master's servants. He did not go down to his house. Oh, man, this will make... David all fired up because this isn't working. It says in verse 10, when it was reported to David, hey, by the way, Uriah didn't do what you asked. He didn't go home. He didn't have sex with his wife. He didn't eat all that food. David questioned him. Hey, what's your problem? <laughs> Haven't you just come from a journey? Don't you want to be with your wife? Why didn't you, 
Why don't you go home? And I love Uriah's answer in verse 11. He says, the ark, Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my master Joab and his soldiers are camping in the open field. How can I enter my house to eat and drink and sleep with my wife? As surely as you live and by your life, I will not do this. You guys, what does this remind you of in 2 Samuel 7? I can't believe I have my own house, but God is in a tent. Uriah has the same heart. How can I be here when everybody's out here? How can I be here when God is out there dwelling in the tent? How can I be here? I can't do this. So David has another plan. He says, stay here today. David said, Uriah, and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. And then it says in verse 13, David had a second try. Okay, that was the, that was the clean approach. Okay, and I love what, what Weirdsby says. Now we're going to try a dirty one. Okay, and so he says, uh, David Uriah invited Uriah to eat and drink with them. And David got him drunk. Have another one. Okay, have another one. Okay. Have another one. (laughs) Dilly dilly. That's all they were doing. All right. He went out in the evening to lie down on his cot with his master's servants, but he did not go and he didn't go home and he was drunk. The next morning, David, like that's a problem right there. This is a problem. Like this is, this is not working. So David is so mad. He started writing. He wrote a letter to Joab. He sent it with Uriah. So think about this. He tried it again. First try, clean. Second try, it's a dirty one. Third try, it's a total criminal. Okay, so then the letter, he wrote this. Put Uriah at the front of the fiercest fighting, then withdraw from him so that he is struck down and dies. I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. Uriah is delivering his own death sentence. Go to Proverbs 6.26 if you would. Proverbs 6.26. Uh, Proverbs 6.26, and it's going to go through 33. Now watch this. For a prostitute, fee is only a loaf of bread. Now here we go. But an adulteress goes after a precious life. Verse 27. Can a man embrace fire and his clothes not be burned? Can a man walk on coals without scorching his feet? Verse 29. So it is with the one who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Verse 30. People don't despise the thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he's hungry. Still, if it caught, he must pay seven times as much. He must give up all the wealth in his house. Now, here we go. Keep going. The one who commits adultery lacks sense. Yeah, amen. Whoever does so destroys himself in verse 33. He will get a beating and dishonor, and his disgrace will never be removed. Hey, Uriah, I, I, can't, I can't do anything else. I had sex with your wife, and now she's pregnant. And you won't give in to my, my doing this. So I'm going to send you away. You're going to deliver a letter. And you don't even know this. But when you deliver a letter to the commander, you're actually going to be asked to be killed. Because what I did will never be removed. It's like fire on my clothes. I can't get it out. It's like my feet have been scorching. I can't avoid this anymore. And you're not giving in. Scripture says in verse 16, when Joab was besieging the city, in other words, when he was doing what he was supposed to be doing, we should start verse 16. This should be the beginning of verse 1. This should be 2 Samuel 11, verse 1, right here. By the way, when David and Joab were besieging the city, but it doesn't. This is in the middle of the, of the whole chapter now. And he says he put Uriah in the place. So he hands him his letter. You have to wonder if he was like, I wonder what's in this letter. <laughs> he didn't read it. Uriah did not read it. In the place where he knew the best enemy soldiers were. Okay, so now watch this. Scripture continues. Then the men of the city came out and they attacked Joab. And some of the men from David's soldiers fell in battle. Uriah the Hittite also 
died. Now, here, here's already just going to tell you this is a problem because uh, Joab is, actually doesn't do what the letter says. The men are supposed to retreat and leave uh, Uriah there, but just I'm, I'm going to get through that because it says some of the men from David's soldiers fell in battle. It should have just been Uriah the Hittite that died, but it says Uriah the Hittite also died. So he handed a letter, put him on the front of the line so that he could be killed. It says this in verse 18, Joab sent someone to report to David all the details of the battle. And he commanded the messenger, when you finished telling the king all the details of the battle, if the king's anger gets stirred up and asks you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you realize that they would shoot from the top of the wall? Verse 21, at Thebes, who struck Amalek, son of Jerobeth, Jerobeth Sheth, didn't a woman drop an upper millstone on him from the top of the wall so that he died? In other words, we're talking about Gideon's son here, just for the record. Uh, why did you get so close to the wall? Then you say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Okay, there's a lot here. There's a lot here. But the bottom line is this. A woman killed Abimelech. Okay? And that, in that context of fighting is like, mm, wuss. I mean, that, that's what he's implying, right? He's like, you better own up. You cannot get killed by a woman. Okay, I get that today. Forget that. Don't, don't go all gender on me in a second. I'm just, that's, that's what he's saying here. Okay, so in this context, when he talks about then, oh, by the way, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then the messenger left in verse 22. And when he arrived, he reported to David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger reported to David, the men gained advantage over us. He came against us in the field, but we counterattacked right up to the entrance of the gate. Now, remember, this was not the, the this was not supposed to happen like this. When he came up to the wall, everybody else is supposed to leave and Uriah is supposed to die. But now, because of David's plan, other people have died as well. In verse 24, however, the archers shot down on your soldiers from the top of the wall and some of the king's soldiers died. Your servant Uriah the Hittite also is dead. And David told the messenger, say to this to Joab, don't let this matter upset you because the sword devours all alike. Intensify your fight against the city and demolish it. Encourage him. David basically just acted like, Nothing happened. Not like, oh my, what have I done? It was like, oh yeah, hey. Great, it's done. In fact, pick up, pick up your fight. Make sure you demolish the city. And in verse 26, when Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, heard that her husband Uriah had died, she mourned for him. Now typically, seven days would be the period of, of mourning. And so over this course of the period of time, there was mourning. And it says in verse 27, when the time of mourning ended, David had brought, brought to his, had her brought to his house. She knew where it was. No, not trying to be funny. Like she obviously had been there. And then Uriah, who's dead, she now, Bathsheba, became David's wife. So now she becomes the seventh slash eighth wife. I just say that because of Michael. Uh, so really, she becomes the eighth wife. Sign me up. Like, why, why would she even want to think like that? And she bore him a son. However, right, that would be the son that was caused from the adulterous affair, okay, from that moment. However, the Lord considered what David had done to be evil. Now, here's how I believe um, God obviously redeems this whole situation. Uh, because in Matthew 5, 6, if you'll go there, okay, even though uh, Kevin... Matthew 1, 6, I'm sorry. Even though the, the evilness, look, look how God used, look how God still used Bathsheba and David. It says, and Jesse fathered King David. Then David fathered Solomon, but out of respect for Uriah, 
Look at that. Bathsheba, I mean, it, he's listed in here. Uriah's wife. And in fact, five women in the Gospel of Matthew in the first chapter are listed. And they're not exactly the greatest women at the times. Like they had Mary, the virgin. You have Ruth, Bathsheba, Tamar, and Rahab. Five women with some interesting backgrounds. Virgins or raped or prostitute or uh, a foreigner. And now here you have an adulterous person. But God still used them despite this. Look, I just, to, I just want to talk about sexual sin. I want to wrap this up with sexual sin because David put himself in an environment that he knew he should not have been. If he would have kept his hands to the plow, if he would have kept his eyes on the, on the Lord, if he would have fleed from the scene, and then if he would have repented and then stopped, like, what have I done? We actually might have seen a different scenario. We might see a different scenario. But I'm telling you guys, we have to have our guard up. We need to have our guard up on a couple of things. And Tom, Tom Constable says this, Number one, okay, there is nothing that will guarantee you immunity from sinning in this way. Okay, so for the sake of shortness here, there's no immunity. Like, nobody is exempt from this. Look, I'm just going to tell you, Scripture just says, all of us have to deal with flesh. There's something about the sexual sin, like, in society. Like, more and more, it's just becoming, it's, it's okay. Oh, you can have a... You know, you can now have birth control pills so that you can have out of, uh, you can have premarital sex so that you can have, uh, you can even get pregnant, but then you can take these pills that'll kill it and take care of that child before anybody even knows. Or how all of a sudden you have these condoms that are going to be taking care of situations so that nobody even knows that you had sexual relations. I just want to tell you that nobody is immune from any of this because our flesh is weak. So I want us to get that mindset up because those that are falling are the ones that think they're invincible. The ones that think, oh, I, I, there's not going to be an issue here. Number two, I want you to have that mindset there's no immunity. Number two, you need to cultivate, all of us, again, your commitment to the Lord. And, and where does this go? It goes here. You keep your eyes on Him. Number three, if you're married, okay, you cultivate intimacy with your spouse. And I love what Constable says. It's almost like you have to treat every time you take your wife out like it's a brand new date. First date. You need to be intentional about the five areas. I love what, I think it's Gary Chapman, isn't it? The five love languages. I don't know how your wife needs to be loved, whether it's time or uh, words of encouragement or touch or gifts. I don't know what it is, affirmation, but I just know this, you've got to continue to cultivate that. You have to choose to work on loving your spouse. It doesn't just happen because, oh, hey, we're married now, we have it. You've got to keep working at it. The problem was David became idle and, and didn't want to work at it. Okay, another, another uh, area is cultivate. This is a big one. Accountability. Okay. Accountability with your spouse. You, you know what? I want to really make this simple today. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, email, text, uh, voicemails. You can literally say to your spouse, yep, you know what? Here, you can actually look at it. You can look at anything you want right now with this. You have my password. You can check my text. You can check my emails. Like, we need to get to that point. And I really believe it's an accountability because you have nothing to hide. David had everything to hide. And then the last word that we'll just close it out with is this. 
you need to be able to anticipate temptation like it's around the door. You need to be able to anticipate temptation and, ready, avoid it. You know what that means? <laughs> you flee the scene. All of us, all of us are going to be faced with something like this in our life. All of us. And I would just say you're not, you're not immune to this. Cultivate your commitment with the Lord. Keep your eyes on Him. Work on intimacy with your spouse. He designed it for two to become one. And cultivate accountability. Hey, you can check anything you need to. Let's just make sure we're above bar. And then, by the way, when you see temptation, you run. David did. That was a problem that he had. All right, guys, uh, that is 2 Samuel 11. We didn't cover a whole lot of 12 or at all, but that's all right. We'll talk some more tomorrow. Thanks.